I had another New York City first this week, Caitlin. Oh, no. Did it involve a rat or maybe a naked man or maybe a naked rat? It's always one of those two. Thankfully, this time it was a rat, a rat in a movie theater. (laughs) (laughs) So we don't just have pizza rats here. We also have popcorn rats. I was indeed eating popcorn when I saw it. It went scurrying across the center aisle and under the row in front of me. And for the rest of the movie, I had my feet up on the seats in front of me. I don't even know what to... I'm I'm literally just saying, I don't know. It's so gross. I would have been so... Did you feel like icked out the rest of the movie? Yeah, I kept like checking the floor, you know? And like, I'd put my feet down for a minute and I'd be like, nope, up I go. We know about sticky floors, but this is the first time I'm hearing about ratty floors. From Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City, a podcast from two single Christian women making our way and dodging the rats and the naked men in New York. I'm Caitlin Beatty. And I'm Roxy Stone. I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. This week on The State of Belief. I felt like if anyone was going to be speaking up, It was going to have to be somebody like me. Faithful conversations around sexual orientation and gender identity in Texas with Auburn Peterson of Another Story. Also, getting ready for the 2024 vote with Adam Friedman, organizing an election strategist at Interfaith Alliance. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app. I actually saw this rat on assignment for this episode of the podcast. Yes, we both went to see the new movie, She Said, and we had plans to see it together at an iconic East Village theater, and that didn't quite pan out. I blame jury duty, but it sounds like you had your own iconic New York movie experience. A -a once-in-a-lifetime New York movie experience, I hope. Yes, first and last. So, Roxy, what what did you think of the movie? Well... I'm especially excited to hear what you thought of it since you also read the book, which I have not yet, which is a cardinal sin in my opinion, but Mm -hmm. I committed it for the podcast. Um, (laughs) I love a good journalism movie or as novelist Brandon Taylor puts it, a paperwork movie. Yes. Um, (laughs) Especially this one had two women journalists. And I can tell you, if I had seen this movie as a teenager, I would for sure have been inspired to become an investigative reporter. Oh, I'm still inspired. Yes. (laughs) Like, reading the book She Said by the New York Times reporters, Jody Cantor and Megan Toey, when it came out a few years ago, but then also watching this movie, I was like, I think I'm... I think I need to quit my job and go (laughs) learn how to do this. Now, of course, this actually wouldn't be like a huge industry leap. It's not like I'm deciding like I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be a sommelier. It's like tangential to the work that you and I have already done. But yes, I was so... I'm just inspired to see journalists doing their job well. That is so satisfying. It was really fun. I mean... I'm not deep in investigative journalism world, although occasionally RNS does some great investigative pieces. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was so fun. It was so fun to see the editors because that's my role. And they were like so empowering and just like a solid support. And also, you know, they were like huddling over watching them write. And I was like, oh, 
That's great. That's great. Newsroom heroes. Yes. So the book is about the book. So the book and the movie chronicle Jody Cantor and Megan Twohey basically doing the work behind the scenes to report on Harvey Weinstein. Their story broke in the New York Times in late 2017 and is really considered the a watershed moment in the mm-hmm. Me Too movement. Of course, the the story came out about a year after Trump was elected. So there's the specter kind of in the background of the fact that this man had been credi- credibly accused by many mm-hmm. women over the years of sexual harassment, assault, abuse, saying horrendous things. There had been all this reporting on him, and yet that did not obviously stop him from becoming... <laughs> the most powerful man in America. And yet, you know, Jody and Megan's work and the willingness of several victims of Harvey Weinstein to go on record with their story, you know, seemed to really break things open in the Me Too movement. Yeah. Along with a few other top men being exposed as predators around that same time, um, including Bill O'Reilly and Roger Ailes. You know, we saw the hashtag Me Too explode. So many women shared their stories online. And it Mm -hmm. seemed like it really gave women everywhere like a little bit of hope, at least, that maybe they had some power to push back against sexual abuse and the systems that support it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think what's really key thinking about the work of journalists in the Me Too era, and this comes through really clearly in the book, she said, is journalism can help convince people that this is real. If, mm-hmm. if, if people outside an abusive system kind of don't, aren't inclined to believe women, journalistic, like written legal and financial proof that journalists can track down to offer corroboration and credibility, I think can really ideally, in a lot of cases, for a lot of people, like show them, no, this is real. It's not just women talking. It's like, we can provide the evidence that this actually happened, that these settlements actually happened, that these non-disclosure agreements really happened. Yeah. I mean, and you've had your own, you've had your own experience doing this, like alongside the parallel to the Me Too movement was the Church Too movement. Mm -hmm. You know, we saw so many of these familiar stories playing out at mega churches, at massive parachurch ministries, in Mm -hmm. small youth groups. Even mm. in some Christian newsrooms. But you, you know, you got to play your own little investigate, not little, sorry. You got <laughs> no, to play no, your little. own <laughs> editorial investigative role in at Christianity Today looking into some of these, some of the church systems that have supported right. sexual abuse. Yeah. One thing that I appreciate both about, she said, the book and the movie is it really underscores the role of good editors. <laughs> And so, yes, working at Christianity Today, I was not working as a reporter. It was as an editor getting mm-hmm. tips and kind of reviewing stories. And yeah, you know, the, the first stories that the staff at CT had received, like the first tips or allegations that we caught wind of, were back in 2014 mm. about both Bill Hybels and Ravi Zacharias. And so this was... I, Obviously, conversations about abuses of power were happening, but this was years before the Me Too and the Church Too mm-hmm. movement. And mm-hmm. um, we perhaps didn't quite have 
enough language to understand dynamics of power in institutions and the role that institutions play oftentimes in covering for people or enabling them. Of course, you know, both of those stories and many others in the Church Two era are just doubly alarming when you think about religion being used as one more weapon for people with abusive instincts to kind of justify themselves or to guilt victims Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. to over-spiritualize, like, pathways of forgiveness. I mean, these are themes that you and I have talked about a Mm -hmm. lot on this this podcast. But I think at the end of the day, I'm... (laughs) I'm just, I'm so grateful for how far we've come since CT first received those allegations. And also, I do wonder, what does progress and change look like? It sometimes feels like for every step you take forward, it's two steps back because of the resistance to to real change around these issues. Absolutely. And I think, as we're going to talk about later on in the episode, you know, I think we saw some serious pushback. Um... We're seeing it all over the place, but like a real moment this summer was like the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial where like, you know, whatever played out in the courtroom, what was playing out in the court of public opinion was really, really ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, and was But he's showing... such a charming, he's so charming in Pirates of the Caribbean, Roxy. Right. Exactly. And so she must be just a hysterical, lying gold digging woman, you know, and it was just like mm-hmm. everything that women fear about coming forward is exactly mm. what happened to her mm-hmm. in the court of public opinion. Like she got so slandered and it was very, very ugly and it was hard to watch as a woman. And I'm sure it was hard to watch for women who have been abused mm-hmm. in all kinds of ways by men. Yeah. And this connects back to the Weinstein story in that you saw just how many women were very reticent to Mm -hmm. go on record with their stories. The reporters would call them or even sometimes show up at their house. And the women, the victims of Weinstein, you know, had in a lot of cases carried their own experiences with them for decades and really didn't want to talk about it. Like I have chosen in some way as a form of survival to bury this. Mm-hmm. Or I don't want to be reviled, <laughs> you know. Yeah. In the court of public opinion, I don't want to be seen as someone who was asking for it or was just sleeping her way to the top in Hollywood or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. You know, for every great journalistic piece of reporting where women are speaking on record and coming forward and you think, well, maybe other women will come forward now too. They'll be given the courage to kind of jump together into the fray and that there are strength in numbers. But then it takes a story like the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial to convince many more women, oh, I don't Mm want to go, I don't ever want to go forward publicly with my story because I will be vilified and I, it's just not worth it. Yeah. And I think the power of this movie, you know, to point out the real obvious for everyone, you know, the movie's title is She Said, which of course, so much of these kinds of sexual abuse and rape and domestic abuse accusations are always considered to be sort of a he said, she said situation without a lot Mm. of evidence, you know, and this this movie is like, no, let's like, let's, let's center the she said part. Like let's center the women's voices here, but not just their voices, like also their stories and the evidence that they bring to the table. Um, Mm -hmm. Not just Mm -hmm. as like hearsay. Mm -hmm. Hersay. Hersay. 
to talk about this movie on the podcast for a lot of reasons, um, which we've already talked about. Like, we are women in the workplace. I mean, the phrase, hook it into my veins, came, <laughs> came to mind, yes. like, multiple times rereading the book and watching the movie. I was like, yes. this is, like, the perfectly calibrated movie for me and probably for you as well. Yes. Like, it could not, it could not, it, yes. if only there was like a slightly more religious angle, then it would be like the per, the absolute perfect combination. <laughs> but um, yeah, hook yeah, it into I my veins. I immediately wanted to see it again after I walked out. <laughs> mm, that's a great sign and a great recommendation for our listeners to see the movie. We are not being sponsored by this movie. Um, <laughs> I feel like we should be, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's look into that. Well, we wanted to talk about it on the podcast, but we also wanted to bring on a few of our favorite guests who we thought could bring some additional insight into this movie for a couple of reasons. Later on, we'll be talking with repeat guests, Alyssa Wilkinson, the chief film critic at Fox, as well as Christine Emba, a journalist with The Washington Post and author of the book, Rethinking Sex, A Provocation. Our conversation with Christine and Alyssa about She Said is coming up just after the break. Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. If you want to support the work of great journalists, which after this episode, I don't know why you wouldn't, check out religionnewsservice.com and consider donating while you're there. We are a nonprofit newsroom. Also, if you like what we're doing at Say by the City, do let us know. Throw us a rating or a review, which goes a long way toward helping get the word out about the show. Here's a fun review we got this week from a fellow New Yorker and his wife. Mm. The podcast is simply fabulous. Thank you for all your work. I and Amanda, my wife, immediately recognized, oh, these are our people and we're hooked. But more than connecting with the often painfully familiar experiences, we appreciate the humor, thoughtfulness, and general flair you bring to the podcast. Aw, we do give good flair. We'd love to hear from you too. Tell us how the show is connecting with you, topics you'd love to have us tackle, or guests you want to hear on the show. Email us at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. Christine Emba, Alyssa Wilkinson, welcome back to the show. Always good to be here. Hey there. (laughs) Good to see you guys. All right. So we all saw She Said this week, or Alyssa, you saw it a while ago because you're special. I want to hear very quickly one scene from the movie that each of you really loved or it stood out to you the most. Christine, you first. I think a moment that hit me pretty hard in the movie was near the end, where they sort of return to the young versions of several of the women Mm. who told their stories, sort of either the day before recovering from their assaults, Mm -hmm. and you just see the women who they were Mm -hmm. and sort of who they might have been. And it really drove home sort of how much something like that can take from you your sort of innocence or future or like the joy that at least some of the women were exhibiting at the time. I thought that was really powerful. I have a few, some of which are funny and I almost, you know, they sort of function as little comedic moments that have to do with like copy editing and things that (laughs) journalists recognize. Um, Same. We were, I was 
seeing it at a press screening with a bunch of journalists. And so we're all kind of on the edge of our seat. Like, are we going to, are we, is this what the New York Times uh, content management system looks like? Uh, so that was funny. But um, when it comes to the more serious things, I think there are some moments in the movie that where they kind of, I think, subtly, not too subtly, but subtly illustrate the effects of the broader culture where this kind of behavior is accepted. So the one that, there's one where um, Jody is talking to her daughter uh, when she's abroad and finds out that her daughter knows the word rape, her young daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's sort of a stunning moment. And then there's another where they're in a bar and a guy comes up to them and like, kind of won't leave them alone and yes. they finally kind of break um, and scream at him. But I mean, we've all been in that situation and you're supposed to be polite, right? <laughs> even mm-hmm. if you really don't want this attention and, um, and you're just trying to do something else. And both of those really stuck with me as filling out the larger sense of the world that mm-hmm. still very much exists, even if mm-hmm. Weinstein himself is, you know, spoiler, no longer out there being a predator Mm -hmm. behind bars yeah yeah and on trial simultaneously in several cities caitlin what about you i have a couple i i was very moved by the scene where we know that jody Cantor and megan toey are waiting they they were really hoping to have like one opening story with the person's name on record and they haven't Mm -hmm. been able to confirm that and then Jodie Cantor, I believe, gets a call from Ashley Judd, who in the movie is played by Ashley Judd, and she's on this run, and she says, just very matter-of-factly, I want my name to be in the story because I'm a woman and I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. And the movie doesn't delve into her faith background, although I think you know a lot of us know that she is a person of faith, and that just really, that was just very moving, a kind of moment of courage and, and bravery to kind of step out and then of course because because she uses her name other people other women say I'm also going to use my mm-hmm. name and you know all of us in journalism know how significant that is to have someone yeah. be willing to yeah. go on yeah. record with their full name and that just lends a lot of credibility to a story um on an entirely <laughs> different note, I loved the scenes with Dean Beckett, the executive editor mm-hmm. of the Times, <laughs> interacting with Harvey Weinstein and mm-hmm. his people on the phone. And he's totally yes. unimpressed. And you yeah. can tell that Harvey Weinstein is a person who expects people everywhere he goes to be wowed by his power and his wealth mm-hmm. and his prestige and bend his will. And Dean Beckett is like... I have work to do. You can talk to my team. <laughs> Bye, Harvey. I was like, yes. <laughs> I love that too. <laughs> yeah. that too. I, I have so many things I could say about this. And obviously we're going to talk about many more of them. I also loved the like little journalism moments. Like when they catch a double space after the period. And I was like, yes. <laughs> oh my you. gosh. I have done that comedy. a thousand million times in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> High school teachers, Quit telling your kids to put a double space after a period. Please. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> but one of the things that really stood out to me in reflecting back was sort of similar to what you said, Christine, about sort of showing the women beforehand. Almost all of those moments when they did that, they included the woman with another woman, like with a friend. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that that really struck me that 
I felt like the movie throughout took pains to show female relationships with each other and Mm -hmm. why those were so important and created such a sense of solidarity and support and help for all of those women. And I, I thought that was great. There were a lot of really subtle things in the movie like that, that I thought were really Mm -hmm. powerful. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Alyssa, um, not to put you on the spot or anything, actually to put you on the spot, but um, I want a little mini review of the movie. Yeah. Like, what's your three minute as yeah. a critic? Well, you know, I went into the movie kind of expecting to be disappointed because I think this book, mm. if you've read She Said, it's really, really good in unexpected ways because it's more about how do we establish the credibility of sources in this story than it is about the Harvey Weinstein story, right? It's about reporting the story Mm -hmm. more than the story itself, because we all kind of unfortunately know basically what happened. Um, And I just didn't know how you could translate that to the screen. And so I was really pleased to see that they had pulled it more towards that vibe. It's like, it's a very mm-hmm. sober film. It takes place across a long time. So we see just like the relentless years of work and the toll that takes on reporters who really need to write this story. Like this changed some things. Um, it's good that it was out there, but it's so much work. And there's so many moments of disappointment along the way. Obviously there are good mm-hmm. performances and all of that. But I think the thing that I left thinking about and what I wrote about afterwards was that it doesn't show us Harvey really. Like we sort of see Mm -hmm. the back of him at some point, but it really just focuses in on the journalists and the women who became sources for the story or who wanted to, but couldn't for personal reasons, one, one reason or another. And so by doing that, I think, you know, Harvey is like a, he wants to be the center of attention all the time. And Mm -hmm. even if you remember Mm -hmm. when the story broke, he tried to make it like literally be about how he's becoming a better person and he's promoting, you know, women and whatever it was, you Mm -hmm. know, it was really bad. And so by sort of making him be on the margins visually, then it creates this kind of like, Mm -hmm. uh, obvious thing that we're now thinking about that. So I thought that that was really tremendous as a choice. Um, And it also lets us really focus in on what the story is about. This is not a story about Harvey Weinstein. This is a story about a culture that can enable um, Mm -hmm. people like that. Of course, hundreds came forward afterwards. And the other thing that I, I really think is great about this film is that it doesn't end with a triumphant moment at all right it just ends with publishing and then we kind of know what happens next journalism movies have traditionally been very triumphalist with the possible Mm -hmm. exception of like spotlight right Mm -hmm. but for the most part they're very much about the hero journalists and you know the intrigue and the heart pounding and this is not about that um this is just like look this is really hard and necessary um so in a way i felt like it really made the case for good journalism, Mm -hmm. you know, not by lionizing anyone, but just showing like, this is real work that somebody has to do, but it's not easy. And it's not a choice anyone makes lightly to participate Mm -hmm. in the story. Mm -hmm. Part of what struck me in in it not being as triumphalist at the end, maybe similar Mm -hmm. to Spotlight, is that it's not a total triumph, like a tiny opening of a door that now we know, like with Spotlight, it was it was a few priests in Boston and now it's like a global you know, and and all of those stories have taken a lot of time to tell Mm -hmm. and Weinstein was just like scraping the surface, you know? Yeah. 
I, I was watching it in, I think, in October, early October. And that was almost five years to the day of when the right. story had broken. And I was just thinking like, gosh, this is five years ago. And that same week, he was going on his second set of trials in LA. So these things take so long. And we're tempted to think nothing changes. Mm -hmm. In part, I think, because movies often teach us that like everything should happen within a two-hour span. <laughs> um, and so this, I felt like, was a really, a much better treatment of that story. A note on that, too. One of the things that I also found really striking, there's sort of the postscript after they hit publish, and it mm -hmm. talks about how the movement happened and changed the world. And then there's one line. I, I didn't write it down, but it was like, and opened up new debates. Mm -hmm. And reading that, uh, oddly, my stomach sunk a little bit yeah. because it immediately uh, yeah. made me think, oh, yeah, it's opened up new debates. Like now we're still at the place where Johnny Depp and Amber Heard are having this debate mm -hmm. where we're yes. having the debate about whether it's gone too far. We're having mm -hmm. the debate about whether we should actually believe women, um, mm -hmm. whether all of this is overstated. So, yeah, yeah it's not a complete win, actually. And I just want to point out, like, there was a movie three years ago, I think, Bombshell, which was about mm. the Roger Ailes story. And if you want to see what this looks like when it's done poorly, that movie ends <laughs> with this kind of triumphalist. And then the women fixed everything and you yeah. know, nobody was ever assaulted at Fox News again. And it's just like, oh, nope, that's not true at all. Right. But that's just how movies often end mm. because it's yeah. like more fun to watch, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I felt watching the movie, <laughs> I actually found the book more scintillating than the movie, mm -hmm. <laughs> which just feels like a very elitist, like the book is obviously better than the movie, but I think it is, you know, <laughs> yeah. I have a literal tote bag that says the book was better. So. <laughs> okay, so I'm in good company. I found the movie to be slow in mm -hmm. moments. And then I realized, yeah, but the work of journalism is slow. Like the pace of the movie matches the pace of how how plotting and procedural and kind of boring the work of journalism can be. This is not glamorous work most of the time. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Christine, there was like a mo there was a moment in the movie that I really thought about you and I was like, I can't wait to talk to Christine about this. I remember one of the victims was talking about when Harvey Weinstein had her in his hotel room and he was asking for a massage and she was saying no and he kept saying like oh all the girls do it. It's not a big deal. Everybody does it. And she thought, oh, maybe I'm just like a prude. And she was very young and she thought maybe I'm just you know, I'm just innocent, naive. I don't know what I'm doing. And so she does it. And, and, you know, obviously it escalates well beyond that. And then she gets away. And then as she thinks back on it, she starts, she doesn't want to tell anybody. And she starts to feel ashamed and embarrassed because she flips that story in her head and starts to tell herself everyone else would have been smart enough not to have fallen for that, mm. not to have done it. And it's like she was like gaslit first by him. And then her own narrative that she began to like tell herself was like a gaslighting too. And I just thought like there's this is such an example of how like women get these certain sexual pressures, expectations, narratives given to them that they 
are too innocent, too prude, too slutty. Like it's all of these things. And I, and men, I don't know if men get that same message, but I just remember thinking like, I want to talk to Christine about this because this feels like it falls in the piece with like your book and these ideas of like the sexual narratives around us and how we buy into them. Yeah, that, that's an interesting example because it really shows how these narratives kind of get you coming and going, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, maybe you're too prudish, but also there's a risk that you're too slutty at the same time you can both be or like too too sort of hot and i think that one of the one of the things that i that i found really interesting and fascinating about the the movie overall was how it sort of it managed to it focused on the journalism but it also sort of focused on highlighting kind of these these aspects of almost like the female experience and how Mm -hmm. one is expected to go through the world and what that looks like. And part of it, um, just in the examples with Weinstein and thinking about it afterwards is yeah. How all of the women are sort of like weighing themselves. Like, did I, did I do this well enough? Should I have done something different? Like what will other people think of me? What was the, Mm -hmm. what was the social, the societal expectation for this moment and Mm -hmm. how did I fail or live up to it? And like sort of the question of, of almost voicelessness or sort of who owns your voice and what you're allowed to do. So in an interaction, it could be so easy almost for a powerful man or almost any man to just sort of like take some of your autonomy and like take your voice away in some way, subtle or very obvious. And Mm -hmm. what can you do about it? Often nothing. And there are a couple scenes that I, I wouldn't say that I liked them, but I like appreciated them for sort of showing very subtly this dynamic. One of the things that I noticed that happened a number of times is like the Jody and Megan are on the phone trying to talk to lawyers and the lawyers are just like yapping along and like won't let them get a word out. And it always takes a man getting on mm-hmm. the phone to get the other side to shut up. <clears throat> yep. Like the women can't make that happen. Like there yep. has to be some some man enforcing mm. and that is so common mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. and even harvey calling dean directly almost yeah. to mm-hmm. say like listen powerful man to powerful man mm-hmm. i can sidestep the work mm-hmm. and the authority and credibility of your reporters i don't need to talk directly to them i can just we can hash this out between us and mm-hmm. i just love that dean you know, on one hand, yes, he's standing up to Harvey, and but is also refusing to play that kind of man-to-man mm-hmm. game. He's actually empowering his reporters in saying, mm-hmm. if you have something to say, you can talk to them. Yeah. What did you all think of the scene? I don't remember this from the book, but Megan Toey is in a meeting with Harvey and his ilk, and you get the sense that it's all this, like, legalese mumbo-jumbo. Mm-hmm. They're trying to discredit mm-hmm. the women who have come forward and... Megan is just kind of looking out into the distance and with a smile. She's she's not taking notes. She's not really engaging anything mm-hmm. that they're saying. I didn't know what to make of that. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I I actually didn't think she was looking out in the distance. Maybe she was, but I thought she was looking at Harvey. Yeah. And was like oh. smiling with some smug of like, I got you. It doesn't matter what you're saying, like at all. Yeah. Which was like, it, and it was muffled. You couldn't hear it. So I think right. it was communicating that mm-hmm. in a way. And this mm-hmm. was also one of those scenes. I mean, this is one of those scenes to me that was sort of like a female experience scene. And it's just like, we've all had that moment where like, you're just like trying to get something done. Like you're trying to get information. Just people are 
you get really good at just sort of staring off and being like, ah, I know that you guys are going to keep doing this. Yep. I'm just going to mm-hmm. just continue to talk amongst yourselves and ignore what I have to say. I'll just, I'll wait. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yeah. And it's also like, um, she's heard all this before, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and there's this sort of thread that goes through it where she's really, she really wants to confront Harvey. Mm-hmm. She's given the option not to, and she wants to be there and sort of see him. But you know, when someone is, um, kind of on the verge of having to pay for their actions finally, and they start flailing and acting mm-hmm. overconfident mm-hmm. and that's what she's watching. But yeah, mm-hmm. that, I mean, that's the only time we see Harvey, I think, in the movie. And yeah, again, like, the back of his all, head. Just the back of his head. All we see is the back of his head and the camera's just slowly pushing in on her. Yeah. That is powerful. But that whole thing put me in mind of another, the only, in my mind, the only other good movie about that situation, which is the movie The Assistant that came out a few mm-hmm. years ago, which mm-hmm. I totally recommend looking up. That one is about, you know, what would it be like to not you know, to sort of be on the receiving end of his anger, mostly. And in that, he is also kept off screen. But here we're seeing, we have receipts, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And you don't know how many receipts we have because you've spent your whole life evading responsibility for your actions. Mm -hmm. That was another interesting element of the movie. It focused on the female characters, but you also got to see the KG response from sort of his defenders or not quite enablers, but I... Mm-hmm. I found the character of Lanny Davis mm-hmm. to be extremely interesting. Same. I don't know. There's a sort of a sort of jocular like, well, boys. Uh, uh, he's of a different generation. Yeah. What men? <laughs> what are you going to do about us? Lol. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like trying to be. It's a little bit unclear, actually, whether he's sort of trying mm-hmm. to be helpful mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but you almost sort of see it sort of slowly dawn on him as the movie goes on that like oh this isn't just like uh we paid a bunch of settlements like whatever but like this was actually meaningful in yeah. some way and he it begins to worry him and you sort of see this evolution in a couple of the male characters mm-hmm. actually there's the guy from uh there's a guy from i guess who works at the wine scene company who uh they talk to in the park um, mm-hmm. And his first response is, are you sure this isn't just, you know, women who want to sleep with a producer yes. to yeah. get ahead? It's like, oh, of course you would say that. But then he like gets it mm-hmm. <laughs> by the end. Or even um, there's a, that one really interesting source, the accountant who apparently mm-hmm. hated Weinstein and how long it sort of takes, it takes uh, Jody Cantor to sort of talk to him and sort of convince him that this was a real problem, not a mini vendetta. And then finally hands him this note, I guess, this written testimony from one of the witnesses. And you see how shocked the man is. Like, I didn't believe that this, that it could possibly be this bad. Like, I hate the guy. Mm -hmm. I want to get back at him. But nobody actually, none of the, very few of the male characters in the story seem like able to contemplate that. Mm -hmm this is a really bad thing (laughs) until the very, almost the very end. Mm -hmm. I really thought that that arc for so many of the male characters was meaningful too, because even the parts that you pulled out, like, oh, are you sure this wasn't women just wanting to sleep their way to the top? Or uh, the accountant says, I thought this was just, you know, extramarital crap. But like consensual between adults, just flandering essentially. Yeah. 
Exactly. It Normal. struck me that all of them sort of think like, oh, this is just like that the women wanted this in some way. And it was very hard in a way mm-hmm. for them to contemplate that this was unwanted, mm-hmm. not good for them, mm-hmm. even if it got their career going. Like it was not, this is not an acceptable way to operate in the world. Yeah. And that this really hurt the women. It caused real harm. Yeah. Yeah. They Mm -hmm. don't seem to have realized that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was talking to someone recently, someone I didn't really know, but I was at a film festival party the other night and they were saying, well, you know, the stuff I saw when I was younger in the business and the stuff you did and, you know, Mm. and I said, I sort of said, well, you know, I think what we learned is that from Harvey Weinstein's story is that if women had spoken up about it earlier, then that wouldn't have been stuff anyone would have had to see. And it was sort of like, a, oh, right. You know, like, actually, it's hard to speak up. Um, and it doesn't, that responsibility doesn't necessarily lie with the person who experienced it. But if you're just going to brush it off as if it was nothing, um, then mm-hmm. if it meant that little, then that's the moment that you have that opportunity. Um, and, you know, the film business ran for 100, 125 years on the presumption that, well, this is just kind of how it is. Mm-hmm. And it really took people coming in from the outside who said, like, it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> this doesn't mm-hmm. need to be this way. And people are materially harmed by it. And specifically with Weinstein, this was an open secret. I mean, yes. the comedian. Mm-hmm. Seth MacFarlane said almost a decade ago at the Oscars as he was hosting, like something about women don't have to pretend that they like Harvey Weinstein. And everybody kind of chuckled nervously, like, oh, we know the stories about Harvey. Surely if you're in the industry long enough, you've Uh heard stories along the way or you've experienced something. Yep. So the role of both passive and active enablement. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And no, I don't know what people should have done at the Oscars when Sailor like stood up and (laughs) said, we shouldn't laugh about this. I don't know. But the open secret nature of Weinstein's behavior just underscores that there were so many points at which people knew enough Mm -hmm. and could have done something and didn't do something, whether because they believed, well, this is just what happens and women just accept that this is the cost of working in this industry or, oh, he's just an angry guy and you can't stand up to him. Like all the rationalizations that you can bring to the table to enable really harmful behavior. Mm -hmm. Like the abuse never happens. It's never just an individual behaving badly. It's always they're operating within an organization or system that allows them to do it. I think the other thing that struck me, even just listening to or remembering that joke, but also thinking about the movie, is that there is a sense that the way that joke was told or the way that people will say, like, are you sure this isn't just women trying to sleep their way to the top? There's like an idea that the women have agency in this, that Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, I'm choosing to do this so I can get to the top. I'm pretending to like Harvey so I can get to the top. Mm -hmm. Not like... I'm pretending to like Harvey so that I don't get sexually abused or like I got sexually abused and that's the only way that I have a job because otherwise I would have lost my job. Like we saw with a lot of the victims in the show. Yeah. Tacking back to kind of what you were saying earlier. Another thing that this movie really makes you think about in, but in ways both subtle and very visible is what, 
who is depended upon to sort of uphold this silence. Mm-hmm. And there are sort of all of the enablers in the industry and people who are like, oh, I thought it was just, it didn't matter. It wasn't that big a deal. Or maybe these women were uh, trying to sleep their way to the top. But like you see that the women themselves, especially with the non-disclosure agreements that some of them signed, but also because of sort of the weight of societal expectations and the weight, the sort of unstated, but like understood way of knowing like what what a woman's or victim's role is which is to be quiet to not cause too much trouble to just sort of mm-hmm. eat it in a way mm-hmm. um that the victims are the ones who are sort of in some ways like forced to carry the story themselves um mm-hmm. whether through the expectations around them whether by it's their own knowing as, and I think as women watching this film, we could all relate to the feeling that many of the women seem to have that like, who, who do I tell? If I tell what's going to happen, if I said something like, what would that say about me? Like in some cases, like Harvey Weinstein didn't even have to do so much work. There was just this broader understanding that as a woman or as a victim, you, it's your, you're expected to just hold on to it, just take it and be quiet. And your own sort of self-doubt um, and feeling of being silenced, your own understanding that your voice is no longer yours, does the work mm. of sort of upholding the system for the abusers. We, yeah, like Weinstein could confidently assume that these women wouldn't ha- wouldn't want to talk about their experience yeah. or would have internalized so much shame and self-doubt mm-hmm. from the experience that he could be confident that they weren't going to cause too much trouble they weren't going to rock the boat they they were they would they would just take it with them into silence uh, you know one thing that i've been thinking about a lot with this movie is that this movie named she said is coming out a month away from another movie called Women Talking, which is sort of coming at the same thing from a different angle. And Women Mm -hmm. Talking is a really good companion piece to this, especially because it's about, you know, it's fiction, but it's based on a true story. And it's about a group of women in a closed religious community who have been like horrifically kind of victimized by the men trying to figure out how they're going to move forward. Like, do they stay and fight? Do they stay and do nothing and just accept it? Do they leave? Um, Mm -hmm. Do they try to start a new community? And I think the two really work well together because in She Said, I think you are seeing women trying to grapple with the same exact question and coming Mm -hmm. up with some answers, you know, and also Mm -hmm. realizing that the answer they had for themselves when they were 22 and had no power and had, you know, difficulty just thinking about how they were going to meet their rent payments Mm -hmm. um, shifts 20 years later and that whatever we choose to do today isn't necessarily the final thing that we will ever be doing in our life, which means that, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's always the possibility of justice. But there Um, was also something uplifting in the movie that you saw throughout the movie and that actually the directors made note of highlighting. And Alyssa, you sort of pointed this out. There were so many moments kind of big and small of, solidarity mm-hmm. um and like victim and women's solidarity specifically and the impact that it can have when you can sort of look to someone else and say is it okay or whether vo- whether like verbally or almost just with a look like is it okay that i'm saying this and the other person being like yeah it's okay opens a door opens a door that you really really needed to open and couldn't have opened yourself mm-hmm. um just the act of sort of 
being able to recognize the other person's validity mm-hmm. just really changed things for so many women. Like they're mm-hmm. the moments in which victims, you know, decades later when a journalist, especially a female journalist, finally comes to their house mm-hmm. or calls them on the phone. And so many of them have this shocked look. And at least one is like, I've been I've been waiting for 10 years or I've been waiting for 20 years for someone to finally ask yes. me to talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just that act of it's possible to help someone by mm-hmm. just asking them their story, giving mm-hmm. them the opportunity to speak, acknowledging their voice. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really powerful. Yeah, it was. Thank you both for your yeah for your reflections on the movie, for this conversation, for drawing out themes that Roxy and I wouldn't have done on our own. So thank you both so much. We really do appreciate it. And you're you are welcome on the podcast anytime. Mm-hmm. Love being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks. One thing that struck me that we didn't really talk about with Christine and Alyssa was how the show kept weaving in these other storylines of the very difficult but kind of everyday realities that women face. So we saw one of the reporters uh, struggling with postpartum depression. We saw one of the victims facing breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Both reporters caring for their kids, that moment where they're being hit on in the bar. And both of the main characters are raising daughters, which I thought, you know, obviously they didn't just make that up. But I mean, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> so I think it just it just struck me of like, it's really difficult world to be a woman. And we face like a lot of a lot of competing frustrations and difficulties in life that are unique to the experience of being a woman in the world. Yes. In general, I liked that the movie brought out that the reporters as women were having to navigate a lot of the same dynamics that their sources were experiencing, Mm. not to the same degree, but like unwanted attention at a bar or men talking over them or, you know, these are systemic issues. I do have a hot take. Okay. (laughs) I felt like the movie played, played up or uh, highlighted the reporter's family lives you know Mm. they're obviously both like mothers of young children you see them having to navigate like family responsibilities coming home late from work on one hand i appreciated that because it just highlighted like oh my gosh having to do all of this is a lot and also i just wanted to see them do their work i felt like Mm. the movie was trying to make them more sympathetic Mm to maybe a more to an audience who wouldn't just champion women spending 80 hours a week in the workplace. So like we want to assure you that they're also taking care of their children. Right. And I thought their husbands are supportive of this. Yeah. It felt a little bit like I just, I just didn't care as much about the family stuff. I just wanted to see them do all the fun journalist stuff (laughs) And I thought we don't ever, we rarely would see this for men working right. in journalism. We would not see most of the time the cost that it might take or the them navigating work and family. But then I thought, yeah, but they don't have to to the same yeah, degree it's that women do. I I kind of liked that. Um, in part because it felt like this is the reality. Like this does cost something, mm. and and. And it is hard as a woman to have both of those 
things in your life to have a good, healthy family life and kids and also to like be a killer journalist, you know? Mm-hmm. I just didn't care about the babies as much, I guess. <laughs> Because I am a bad unmarried woman, (laughs) as we established last week's episode. Saved by the City is a religion news service production. The producer is Jay Woodward, and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. We get production assistance from Elizabeth Joy Winter. Chaz Rousseau put together our look, and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are Roxy Stone and Caitlin Beatty. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. 